In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Christians, when someone thinks they can save themselves by their own means, not by God's means, Jesus is very good at silencing them before God, shutting them up, if you will, fulfilling the words of Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. That's what we see in our gospel lesson for today. Two times in a row, Jesus silences people who think they can save themselves outside of God, who thinks they can earn favor without God, who look and trust in themselves and in their own works. In the verses immediately before our gospel lesson for this morning, Jesus has just shut up the Sadducees. You see, the Sadducees were a group of people who did not believe in supernatural things like miracles, angels, or resurrection, or life after death. And so the the Sadducees tried to trick Jesus and asked him a question about the resurrection. If a woman has had more than one husband, whose wife will she be in the afterlife? They think they can trick him and thereby justify themselves as being smarter and wiser. But Jesus shuts them up quickly. As for the resurrection of the dead, Jesus says, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not a God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. And when the Sadducees heard it, they shut their mouths and didn't bother Jesus anymore until Monday, Thursday. Right after this begins this morning's gospel lesson where the Pharisees move in and they take their shot at Jesus. As our gospel lesson says, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The Pharisees, they were legalists pietists, if you will, lawyers who believe that it was up to you to save yourself, to earn eternal life. How do you do that? By observing God's law perfectly, by keeping all the rules. 
And the Pharisees spent most of their days studying Scripture, looking for the laws, figuring out how to keep each and every one of them, or at least so they thought. They came up with a list of 613 laws that if you kept them all, then you will be saved. They want to see if Jesus understands the law. They want to see if Jesus knows how to save himself. So they ask him the question from above. A question that only well-studied, smart people should be able to answer. Unfortunately for them, Jesus is the Word made flesh, God's own Son, the one who wrote the law in the beginning. And being the writer of the law, Jesus knows it inside and out. And so he responds, here's the law. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets and all the scriptures. All 613 laws that you've come up with, Pharisees, can be boiled down to those two. Love to God and love to neighbor. Jesus, the writer of the law, knows the law inside and out. He answers the question correctly. We still teach our confirmation students those two laws, those two tables of the law in our confirmation classes today. Fear, love, and trust in God perfectly. Love your neighbor as yourself perfectly. All the laws, you shall not murder, you should remember the Sabbath day, fall into those categories, and the Pharisees cannot argue with Jesus. But they still have a problem, an issue. They believe that by keeping those two laws, they'll be saved. To be more precise, they believe that they can and have kept those two laws. They're not looking to God for salvation. They're looking to themselves. Jesus always silences those who think they can save themselves by their own means and not by God's. So Jesus asks them a question now so that they wouldn't look to themselves, but instead realize how badly they need God for salvation. Jesus says, what do you think about the Christ? 
Whose son is he? Jesus points their eyes somewhere else. They respond, the Christ is the son of David. And Jesus said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? In other words, Jesus' question really is, don't you know the scriptures? Haven't you read your Bible? You think you know what the Bible says. You think you know all the law. But you can't answer this simple question? You're not perfect. You aren't holy within yourself. You've missed something. You see, Jesus won't let false doctrine stand. He won't let doctrine that leads to a false understanding of salvation stand. He silences it. He shuts those up who believe it. He silences the Sadducees. He silences the Pharisees. He won't share his job of forgiveness with sinful people. He won't let them think they are holy enough in themselves to go to heaven. He won't leave them trusting in something besides God. And it's on this point, dear Christian, that the rubber hits the road. That you need to examine yourself. Will you be saved? Will you be in heaven? If the answer is yes, why? If God came down right now, ripped the roof off our church and stood in front of you and demanded that each one of you told him why you would be in his kingdom, what would you tell him? Would you answer like the Sadducees and say, well, I know better than you, God. There is no resurrection. There is no supernatural things. There are no angels, there's no eternal life. Of course you wouldn't answer that way. God came down, right? He's standing in front of you. What would you say then? Could you deny God to his own face? Of course not. You'd be silent. Just like the Sadducees were silent before Jesus. Would you answer like the Pharisees? 
Would you tell God to his face that you've kept the law? Would you say, I've loved you perfectly, God? Of course not. You know it's not the truth, after all. You haven't loved God perfectly. You've denied his word. You've zoned out during the church service or confirmation class. It doesn't really bother you when you skip church services. There's other things to do after all. You've misused God's name. You've loved your stuff more than God. Could you tell God, I've kept your law perfectly, I've loved my neighbor. No, you couldn't. You've hated, you've been angry, fought with your parents or other authorities, murdered in your heart. You've stolen, either on purpose or by accident, even borrowing the neighbor's screwdriver and forgetting to return it breaks that seventh commandment. You get together with friends and gossip over coffee about your other friends or neighbors or family. And maybe you do that gossiping in a way that outwardly appears righteous, like saying, well, I can't tell you what so-and-so did, but it was bad. You've desired the things that God has given to your neighbor, but not to you. For example, spouses, present or future, homes, Cars, money, wealth. You've even desired foolish little things like the newest smartphone that you've seen in the commercials. If God came down and asked you why you should be in heaven, how would you respond? If we examine ourselves according to the law, we'd have to be silent. Based on our own merits, we don't deserve to be in heaven. Based on our own actions, our own thoughts, we don't deserve eternity. If we say anything before God, all we can say is this, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. That's a good confession. Because mercy is exactly what God wishes to give. He gives you mercy in Jesus Christ, 
whom he sent to be crucified for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for every time someone failed to love God, be that you or your neighbor. The solution to that sin was Jesus dying on the cross. Christ came down for every time someone failed to love their neighbor. And the solution for that sin was Jesus dying on the cross. To forgive sin, God had to die. For you to be worthy to go to heaven, Jesus had to shed his blood for all the violations that you and I have committed against God's law. Jesus suffered for every time that you've tried to justify yourself in a way that God has not ordained. Every time you've tried to put your salvation into your own hands, Jesus died for that sin. Dear Christian, Jesus died for you so that standing before him, you might be silent and know that he is God, the God who saved you. And don't forget, dear Christian, what happened after Jesus was dead and buried. He rose again to live and to reign in his eternal kingdom forever. To reign with his enemies of sin, death, and the power of the devil as his footstool, conquered, destroyed by him. And he has promised that he is coming again with power and glory and might on the last day of this world. Why? To take sinners like you and me and all the Christians around the world to be with him in his kingdom. He has saved them. You are saved not by your own works or merit, but by the holy, precious blood, innocent suffering and death of Jesus. You are saved. You could not wash away your sin, but God had to do it for you. He did it in the baptismal font, making you holy and righteous, covering you with the blood of Jesus that takes away all sin. You'll be saved because God sent his word into your ear. And where the word is in its truth and purity, there the Holy Spirit is also. You will be saved, you are saved because God has given you his own body and blood to eat and to drink for forgiveness of your sins. We cannot claim salvation because of 
what we have done. We are saved because of what Jesus has done. In 1533, when preaching on this very gospel lesson, Martin Luther said it this way, If you want to have forgiveness of sin, do not try to climb up into heaven, but go and be baptized if you are not already. Or if you have been, remember the promise that God made to you in your baptism. Be reconciled to your neighbor and ask that the absolution be declared unto you in Jesus' name. Believe the word. Receive the most venerable sacrament of the body and blood of Christ so that you may be sure that such a priceless treasure is meant for you to have and to enjoy. Luther goes on and says, we must not despise baptism, absolution, preaching, and the sacrament but seek and receive forgiveness of sins in this way. That is why God has ordained that there be pastors, fathers, mothers, and fellow Christians, and he places his word into their mouths that we might seek comfort and forgiveness of sins through them. Even though it is just people who speak, nevertheless, It is not just they who speak, but it is God's word. Therefore, trust it implicitly and do not despise it. Dear Christians, that's how God saves. If we try to save ourselves by our own actions, understandings, wealth, power, God will shut us up. He won't share salvation. He saves us by Jesus. He gives salvation by baptism, word, body, blood. Jesus saves us by his death and resurrection. And we inherit eternal life on his terms. We are saved. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.